That is one of my favorite hymns. Um, I feel like I need that reminder. And I, I've spoken to, over the years, I've spoken to a lot of folks um, older in age who have expressed their desire to be home with the Lord. Uh, they've experienced their fair share of heartache and bouts with sickness and disease, and they're just tired. And they've said that, some people have expressed that they just don't know why God still has them here. And they're ready to shed all of this and to just join the glories of God in heaven. And I think about that song and I think, you know, it's not just them. It's not just those that have lived a long life and have dealt with aches and pains and heartaches of all different kinds, but really anyone that is a true believer in Christ. Romans talks about how all creation groans for this. They, they, when you realize just who God is and how awesome he is, and we were told in scripture that in his presence is fullness of joy. I don't think any of us can truly sit here as true believers and say we don't also long to be in God's presence, to be nearer to him. So as we have just sung, I pray that that is something that is encouraging to you. I know, not that I'm ready to, to leave you all or leave my family or any of that, but if the Lord should return today, praise him. I'm going to rejoice every moment of that and not think at all about what I'm leaving behind here, uh, because nearer to God is where we all should desire to be. Uh, tonight, uh, this tonight, probably evening somewhere, uh, but this morning, we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture from 2 Kings chapter 4. I'd invite you to turn with me in your Bibles at this time to 2 Kings chapter 4. And we've been looking at the life of Elisha, the prophet Elisha. Not Elijah, but Elisha. And we've looked at his life and the ministry that God had called him to. And we've tried to draw some parallels as to the servant of God in any day and age. The true believer, the true servant of God sees many parallels in what we see through the life of Elisha. And we've been going through looking at different miracles that God has allowed him to do. And, and this morning we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture, specifically verses 18 through 28, here in 2 Kings chapter 4. In just a moment we'll look at these verses. And I've titled the message this morning, Is It Well? Is it well? A pastor friend of mine would ask me every time he saw me, is it well with your soul? Is it well with your soul? For as long as I can remember, that has also been one of my favorite songs. No matter what I'm going through, that song, It Is Well With My Soul, reminds me of how I should be viewing the troubles of my life, no matter what they are. It helps put my problems into a proper perspective. For those that are not aware, the song, It Is Well With My Soul, was written by a man named Horatio Spafford. Believe it or not, he was born in 1828, right across the river in Troy. Troy, New York. And Spafford would eventually move to Chicago, where he'd marry uh, his wife, Anna Larson. They lived in Chicago for a while. They raised their four daughters, and uh, Spafford was actually a big, big-time lawyer, where he was a partner at a large law firm there in Chicago. They were very close friends with the evangelist D.L. Moody, attended many of his meetings, and two years 
After the great Chicago fire, the family planned a trip to Europe, but business matters forced Horatio Spafford to stay behind, and he was going to meet his family later, so he sent his wife and his four daughters across the, the pond, as we say. We don't say that, but over in Europe they say that to go ahead as they set sail for England. And on November 22nd, 1873, the ship, which his wife and four daughters were on, collided with another vessel, killing 226 people, including all four of his daughters. Spafford's wife survived, and upon arriving in Wales, she sent a telegram back home that read, Saved Alone. And shortly, shortly after that, <clears throat> Spafford traveled to meet his grieving wife, and he was led to write the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, as his ship passed near where his daughters had died. It's a sad story, but it's a tremendous testimony as he was able to focus on God's goodness in the midst of a tragedy like that. And knowing the history behind that song has really allowed those words as we sing them to uplift my spirit in times of distress as I really think about what these words are saying. It doesn't mean that believers will never grieve or that they will never have a reason to grieve, but they can always say, it is well with my soul. I haven't seen that, that pastor friend of mine in a few years, but a very close friend of mine now will ask me that same question often when he talks to me or sends me a text message or emails me. He'll say, brother, is it well with your soul? Your world may be turned upside down, children may be taken from you, your health may be failing, your finances may be depleting, your trials may be increasing every day, your strength may be wearing thin. The ground beneath your feet may even feel like it's crumbling. But if you're a child of God, it is always well with your soul. In Psalm 40, verses 1 and 2, the psalmist David describes how the Lord was his help and his deliverer. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. When God saves us, the very moment he saves us, he plants our feet, not just upon a rock, but upon the solid rock, Jesus Christ where our feet will never slip, where we will never stumble, not because we are able to stand on our own strength, but because we're able to stand on the unfailing strength of our Savior. In 1 Peter chapter 1, in verses 3 to 5, the Bible describes how every believer is eternally kept by the power of God. I want you to listen to these words. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Kept by the power of God not kept by the power of ourselves, not kept by the power of the church, but kept by the power of God alone. God never promised 
that this Christian life would be problem-free, but he has promised that those who come and believe in him in faith will be saved forever. And based on that promise, it almost seems silly to even ask the question to a believer, is it well with your soul? If you're truly a child of God, is there ever a moment when it is not well with your soul? Even if everything around you is falling apart, even if your life is completely chaos, is your salvation as a child of God ever hanging in the balance? Do me a favor so that I know you're awake and you're with me. If you're saved today, turn to the person next to you and say, I'm saved forever. Your salvation is never hanging in the balance. Life can be completely crazy. And there's no timetable for how long it will be crazy. But it could be crazy for months and weeks, maybe years at a time. And you're looking at it and thinking, well, when is it all going to come to an end? You can still look up and know that it is well with your soul. Not because of how you're able to get through life, but because you know that you are kept eternally by the one who has saved you. That doesn't mean that life is going to be easy, but none of that ever has an effect on our eternal salvation. As believers are kept in the very palm of God's hand, God never loosens his grip. God never allows any of his children to slip out of his hand. The Apostle Paul realized this truth and was able to record some of the most powerful words to comfort and encourage believers of all ages. I want you to listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and verses 16 through 18. I know you're waiting in 2 Kings. Just wait a little bit longer. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. He says, For which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, and some of you are thinking, boy, is it perishing. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed, day by day. How many of you woke up with aches and pains this morning? Can you put up two hands? Though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. What an outlook. What an outlook. Referring to severe and intense persecution, which you go back and you read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and he's not talking about you know, a door slammed in his face. He's talking about persecution. Persecution, beaten, stoned, left for dead. And he refers to that as light affliction. That can only be said of someone who truly understands the greatness of God and the reality 
of eternal security. He says, what's the worst that could happen? Even if the outward man perishes, even if I stop breathing, even if my heart stops beating, what's the worst that's going to happen to me as a child of God? Brother Bob, what's going to happen when you breathe your last breath here on this earth? Right? The greatest moment of the Christian's life is his very last. Close his eyes here, he gets to open them to behold his Savior. Is there anything better than that? So this morning I ask you, is it well with your soul? Is it well with your soul? I was hoping for an audible response. but Is it well with your soul? I'm not asking if your lives are all put together. I'm not asking if you have no problems. I'm not asking if you're standing here in perfect health. I'm not asking if you have complete financial security. I'm not even asking if you know how you're going to provide for your future or any of the like. Everything in your life doesn't have to be perfect, doesn't have to be problem-free for it to be well with your soul. You just need to believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior and receive his free gift of salvation. So again, I ask, is it well with your soul? There's a lot that is uncertain in this life. There is so much instability. There are a lot of issues that we're going to continue to face. A lot of heartache that we're going to deal with moment by moment. A lot of problems just in general. But one thing that we should always be certain of is that as chaotic as this life is and can be, our souls are always at peace because they are resting in the eternal care of our Heavenly Father. It says a lot about your confidence in God when you're able to see the almighty hand of God in the midst of all the craziness of life and still say, it is well. It is well. Our confidence shouldn't be based on what stability and comfort we have in the things of this life, but only in our Heavenly Father. And it makes sense. It makes sense if we're trusting in God for our eternal salvation, which all of us should be, that we also trust him for the temporary matters as well. Right? If you can trust him with the big things, shouldn't the smaller things of life be easy to say, you know what, God, I'm trusting you for the, the biggest thing, eternal salvation. I'm also going to trust in the day-to-day -day things in your, in your care as well. Doesn't that make sense? But do we do that? Do we? Shake your head like this. That's the universal sign of no. We don't do that all the time, do we? Sure, for some things we do. But if we did that all the time, we'd never worry. We'd never stress. We'd never be anxious. We would never have any doubts whatsoever because everything would be up to him. God, we trust you with eternal salvation, but you know what? I'm going to trust myself with everything else. What sense does that make? What sense does that make? Thank you. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Probably verses you learned as a child. Trust in the Lord. When? How often? All the time. With all thy heart. Our confidence shouldn't be based on ourselves or how well we can hold things together. If we're trusting in God for salvation, trust in him for the temporary matters as well here on earth. Now our passage this morning, which I did tell you, 2 Kings chapter 4, we're going to be looking at that. It will show us how one believer was able to do just that to trust in God 
no matter what, in the everyday things of life, even though everything was not well in her life. And this morning, we're going to be looking again at the Shunammite woman we looked at last week, who last week demonstrated incredibly wonderful hospitality to the prophet Elisha, to which God blessed her with a son. Now, this woman would see a second miracle in her life for the prophet Elisha, and while we'll discuss the elements surrounding the miracle today, we won't actually cover the miracle until next week. So if you can remember from last week, and I'll give you a little crash course, a little summary. This woman was used by God. We never get the woman's name. She's used by God to be a huge blessing to Elisha by offering him food and a place to stay. She notices that the prophet is passing by her home on a constant basis. She doesn't necessarily know where he's coming from, even where he's going, but she sees him and she wants to do something to help him out. And God has gifted her with the gift of hospitality and she constrains him, the Bible says, over and over and over and over again. Every time he passes by, she's urging him to come in, grab some food, and then finally, Elisha accepts her offer, and then she talks to her husband, and she says, we got to do more. This isn't enough. Feeding him is not enough. We need to build him a chamber where he can come and rest and study and to do everything else he needs to do every time he comes by. Because this, she says, is a holy man of God. And so, He eventually accepts the offer. She's compelled to do all of this for him. And she did all of this, not because she sought to receive some sort of a blessing from God, but because God had given her a heart for hospitality and service. She took upon herself the lesson from Galatians 6, verse 10, which is our memory verse for the month of August. Some of you have memorized it and shared it with me. Galatians 6, 10. It's in your bulletins. It says, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. She had a heart to serve, and she did everything she could to do just that, to help others. Even when Elisha asked her what he could do for her to show his appreciation, she expressed no desire for anything. She essentially said, listen, I have everything we need. There's nothing you can do that's going to help me, and I'm not doing this to be helped. But it was... It was Elisha's servant, Gehazi, who mentioned to Elisha that her and her husband were childless. So a year later, God gave her a son, according to the word of Elisha. This was a God-fearing woman, and we have every reason to believe that she cherished this precious gift from God and raised her son to fear God the same way. What an example this boy had to learn from as he watched his mother serve others without seeking any sort of personal gain. She was a a servant's servant. And God had honored her devotion to serve him. So as we look at our passage this morning, I'd like you to notice, first of all, the occasion of the miracle, which we're not even going to get to the miracle, but I want you to see the occasion of the miracle first. Look at verse number 18 here in 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings 4 and verse number 18. And when the child was grown... It fell on a day that he went out to his father to the reapers. We aren't told exactly how old the boy was, but it is believed that he was probably around six to seven years old, which uh, meant it was probably around seven or eight years after Elisha first told her that she would have a son. We know he wasn't too old because when he was eventually taken ill, which we're going to see in just a moment, we're told that a lad would actually carry him back home. So he couldn't have been too big. 
for another kid to essentially carry him back home. Either way, we know that this boy was old enough to run on his own, to do things on his own, and even was allowed to go and visit his father who was harvesting in the field. On one of these ordinary days, as we see in verse number 18, he just happened to be visiting his father in the field, which was probably a common thing for him to do at this time. We see him take ill in verse number 19. And notice what it says in verse number 19. And he said unto his father, My head, my head. And he said to a lad, Carry him to his mother. Now, some commentators have tried to diagnose what specific problem this boy suffered from, but all we know is that it didn't appear to be something too serious based on how the boy's father called for someone else to come and to carry him home to his mother instead of him tending to his own son. But notice what happened in verse number 20. It says, And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. What didn't appear to be a serious issue just ended in the worst possible way. Now this speaks to the uncertainty of life and how incapable we are of foreseeing what is going to be happening in even a few short hours. How many of you can tell me what you're going to be doing the rest of the day? Some of you are raising your hands. I'm really curious. Maybe you're planning on, you know, you're going to go grab some lunch, maybe take a nap, doing something in that nature. But can you say with absolute certainty that you're going to be able to do those things? You can't. Because God has not promised us even a single moment, right? Not to be morbid. I'll speak of just myself. I can die in the time it takes me to leave church and to go home. And for those of you who know where I live, I don't have a great journey to go. Now that means I'm probably going to, hit, going to be hit by one of you guys in the parking lot. So, <laughs> Be careful as you're driving the parking lot. But not to be morbid, but none of us know what even a few hours hold, let alone days, weeks, months, and years. And so as we look at this, which didn't seem to be anything serious based on the father telling another boy to come and carry him to his mother, didn't appear to be serious. And verse 20 says, when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. The boy was perfectly fine that morning. And then all of a sudden started complaining about a headache. And by noon, the Bible says he's dead. It was a devastating day. But what a beautiful picture of maternal devotion. Now, I know we're well past Mother's Day, but you should be extra thankful. You should be extra thankful for the precious memories you have of your mother's love. We take our mothers for granted, don't we? We take our mothers for granted and think that there will always be time to tell them how much we appreciate them, to tell them how much we love them, how much we value them, but the truth is that none of us know when our mothers will be taken from us. If your mom is still living, thank her. Thank her for the love that she has demonstrated in your life. And if she raised you in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, tell her you're thankful for the example she set in your home to love God and to serve him faithfully. You don't realize 
you don't realize just how fortunate you are if you have or have had a godly mother in your life. There are tens of thousands of children just across this country who don't have a godly mother in their life. Some don't have a mother at all who offers any sort of affection, let alone lead them in the truth. Far too many children are born with parents more interested in partying and living for the world than they are raising their own children. You think I'm wrong? In 2020, there were over 620,000, 620,000 legal abortions here in the U.S. alone. In one year, 600, and that's just the legal, 620,000 legal abortions just in the United States. For every 100 children that were born, there were 20 that were aborted. A recent study showed that nearly 90% of all abortions were done out of a matter of convenience, with women citing reasons such as, having a baby now would dramatically change my life, or I can't afford to have a baby right now. There's a lot that could be said about this, but what I want to focus your attention on is how rare it is to have loving parents. None of us know how long we have to live this life. So cherish the time that you have. Death doesn't just strike us when we're old, as evidenced in our passage here this morning. In fact, take a walk through a cemetery sometime. Read the headstones. Pay attention to the dates. And you'll find that death comes to the young as much as it comes to the old. Sometimes it gives an advance notice before it strikes. And sometimes, like our passage here this morning, it strikes without any warning whatsoever. There are several lessons I think we can learn from this. First, cherish the life that you have and the people that God has given you. Cherish them. And second, don't make an idol out of someone who can be taken away at any moment. Someone has said that we should hold on to all earthly objects, including people, with a light hand. The idea being that earthly things, even people, will not last forever on this earth. Love people, cherish them by all means, but be careful not to make idols out of them. The woman in our passage here this morning understood this and will be, and it's going to be evident soon enough. Thus, the occasion of Elisha's seventh miracle would be the death of her son. But notice second, the mystery of the miracle. The mystery of the miracle. There are so many things that the Lord does that seem so strange to us. So many things that, as they're happening, don't make any sort of sense. Sometimes God allows the rug to be pulled right out from underneath us, and we're left flat on our face, stunned, confused, as to... What is happening and why? Sometimes we deal with the sudden and untimely loss of a loved one. There was no warning. There was no lead up. And yet, they're just snatched away from us. We're reminded of what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 40 verse 6, where he said, All flesh is as grass. To which Christ would add to these words in Matthew 6, verse 30, he says, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven. 
It's here for a moment and then it's gone, he says. Life is not guaranteed. Neither is long life. And as we see here in this case, in 2 Kings chapter 4, where a boy somewhere around 7 or 8 years old is taken. This boy had lived through infancy, lived through toddlerhood, but was cut down in childhood. He started off that same day looking perfectly healthy, but by noon, he's laying lifeless in his mother's arms. How could this have happened? His death was certainly a mystery. And even more so, since his birth was a miracle, it's just puzzling. This woman wasn't supposed to have any children. And yet, after that initial encounter with the prophet Elisha, God blessed her with a son. This wasn't something that she was looking for. She didn't go and, and serve as a blessing to Elisha for the hopes that maybe she'd be blessed with a son. It wasn't a request that she had after she helped him. She didn't say, okay, listen, I've done all this for you. Could you maybe go to God on my behalf because I know you're a holy man of God and just beg and plead with him. We've been childless, me and my husband, for years and it would just bring a full satisfaction to our lives if you could do this. She didn't do anything like that. God blessed her with a son anyways. She had shown kindness to a servant of God and God would show kindness to her in this incredible way by giving her a son. But why would God so show such kindness only for the child to be just ripped away out of her arms seven years later. The miracle of having a son seemed to be almost completely undone as the son was taken away and lifeless in her arms. Sometimes we just don't get an answer other than to know that God's ways are above and beyond our human intelligence. And even when we cannot see it, everything God does is ordered by his infinite love and his infinite wisdom. I can say one thing that it is encouraging to see the way this mother conducted herself under these circumstances. Now back in verse number 8 of 2 Kings chapter 4, the Bible describes her as being a great woman. Look at what it says. It says, And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman. And while we saw elements of that greatness in her hospitality, her, her hospitality to Elisha, I think we're seeing the best display of her greatness in this unexpected trial in our passage this morning. And before we look at what she did, I want you to see what she didn't do. She didn't clench her fist. She didn't wring her hands in despair. She didn't even curse God or the prophet of God. She didn't give way to uncontrollable grief. She doesn't even complain to God that he had stopped being gracious to her. Over the last 12 years, I've officiated a number of funerals. In previous church, we happened to be located just around the corner from a funeral home. And this led to me getting to know the funeral director better than what I ever wanted to know. Many non-churchgoers would ask the funeral director to find the nearest pastor to handle this service. So I'd get a phone call all the time. I've done a number of funerals for non-believers and I've done even more for believers. I've been in the room 
I've been in a room with family members as their loved one exits this life to join the next. And I can honestly say that among the tears, those were some of the most uplifting times of ministry as you're around a company of believers who are there in a room as their believing loved one passes from this life and enters the glories of heaven with God. While you're in a hospital room surrounded by them, waiting for their believing loved one to breathe their last breath, enter into everlasting joy, there is nothing like that. There's nothing like it. There are tears, for sure. But they are more tears of joy than they are tears of sadness. And let me tell you something. There is a world of difference for unbelievers. I've seen the opposite side of that. I've seen uncontrollable sobbing. And when you think about it, it's warranted. Uncontrollable sobbing is warranted if they don't know where their deceased loved one has gone. It is devastating to see families in such grief. Clearly, there is a difference in their demeanor of, uh, in the demeanor of believers as opposed to the unbelievers that is manifested in such times of loss. And what we see from this woman here in 2 Kings chapter 4 is the response of a believer at the loss of a believing son. Believers don't give way to Satan. They don't take opportunity to curse God. God's grace is real, and every believer is given all that he needs to prove God's sufficiency, especially in times of sorrow and grief. Do we grieve? Of course we do. Is it difficult? Absolutely. Do we cry? Probably more than we, more than we admit. But there's a difference in the grief of a believer knowing that a believing loved one is now with the Lord. I want you to notice third, the expectation of the miracle. The expectation of the miracle. Look at verse number 21. It says, and she went up, so she's taking her son who's lifeless. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. The expectation of the miracle. Why on earth did she do this here in verse number 21? She laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. Her son was dead. Stop breathing. No more life. She takes him up and she lays him upon the bed of the man of God, the prophet Elisha, who's not there, shuts the door upon him and goes out. She knows he's dead, but her actions don't seem to fit with what she knows has just happened. In light of what happens next, you'll see that there was a very specific purpose for what she did, what she did here in verse number 21. This woman was acting in faith as she was clinging to the hope that the very same prophet who seven or eight years prior said that she would have a son would be able to restore her son to life now that he had died. Her faith was clinging to that original blessing. But it would be stretched and stretched to its limit. I'll be honest with you. This woman's faith makes us look weak. It makes us look weak. 
Her son wasn't sick. Her son was dead. And yet her faith in God lifted her to heights that may, that may never reach, that we may never reach in this lifetime. It was definitely being put to the test. For not only was her son dead, but the prophet, he is miles away from where she is. It was definitely put to the test. And all of this was ordained by God to strengthen the faith of this woman. A faith that does not triumph over discouragement and over hardships and over afflictions is not worth all that much. The Lord often allows our circumstances to get so overwhelming, to get so unfavorable, so that our faith might be free to rise above it all. Sometimes we need to be stretched so much so that we can see God's hand work in ways that we've never seen Him work before. But you must believe that He can do it before you even see it. Now we live in a culture that says, I need to see it before I can believe it. And God says, you need to believe it before you can actually see it. That is why, that is, this is the point where many believers fall off course. Every believer will admit that God is all-powerful, that he is all-knowing, that he's all-sufficient, that there's nothing that God cannot do. But when it's you that's being stretched, when it's you that is in the middle of the fire, and the furnace is being turned up, and you're just looking around you, and everything seems to be out of control and beyond your ability to get out, it's hard to see how God can still work. It's hard to see how God can still deliver. It's hard to see how anything can be done to correct the situation that you're in. And even when we know that God is capable of doing anything, Many believers lack true and full belief in God's power, even though our words will say different. We'll say words like, well, I believe that God can heal, and I believe that God can provide. However, we're not truly believing it in our hearts, because in the back of our minds, we're telling ourselves, well, I believe God can heal, but I don't think that any healing is actually going to come. I believe that God can provide. However, I'm not really expecting him to do anything. If you really believed, you'd be preparing for God to work. You'd be expecting it to happen. Far too many believers are praying for rain but not bringing an umbrella. Now, what does that say about our faith? Or our words say everything they need to say. But the inward man is saying, uh, it's not really going to happen though, is it? Why do we do this? Because we know we should be praying. We know we should be believing that God can work, but the expectation is not there. This woman didn't bury her son and then go searching for Elisha. She went and laid her lifeless son on Elisha's bed because she believed that God could restore her son to life and she was expecting him to do just that. Oh, to have faith like that. <coughs> Maybe this woman heard about how God worked through the prophet Elijah with the woman at Zarephath, where he restored her son to life. And this woman here, the Shunammite woman, is thinking, well, you know what, I know there's a double portion of Elijah's spirit upon this man, Elisha. So if Elijah could do it, why not Elisha? Either way, 
She had a steadfast confidence in the power of God, and she was determined to seek the man of God. And we know that she acted in faith because this woman, without her name ever being mentioned in Scripture, is actually referred to a second time. She's referred to in the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 35, which says this, it says, women in the plural received their dead raised to life again. And notice then what we see happening here in verse number 22 of 2 Kings chapter 4. So she's laid her son upon the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. It says, and she called unto her husband and said, send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses that I may run to the man of God and come again. While faith triumphs over difficulties, it doesn't act insincerely. As urgent as her situation was, she doesn't run off without first talking to her husband. She doesn't just scribble a quick note and stick it to the fridge and say, I'll be back in a couple days. She understands her place with her husband and in subjection to him, she says, send me, I pray thee. Faith is bold. Faith is courageous. But it doesn't act insincerely and insubordinately. There is harmony. There is happiness in marriage. Only as both the husband and the wife seek grace from God to walk in obedience to Him and family worship is maintained in the home. We see this harmony fall apart all the time and as a result, marriages and families suffer and they suffer greatly. And notice how her husband responds to her in verse number 23. And notice what it says. It says, And he said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she says, It shall be well. It shall be well. Now, there are different theories as to why the husband responded this way, and I'm going to offer mine. Though I believe this man believed in God, I don't believe he had the same great faith that, he's, that his wife had. I believe he responded this way because he didn't want to be left alone in his grieving. Either way, his response tells us something more about the hospitality of his wife. Evidently, over the years, and remember, the prophet Elijah has, Elisha has probably spoken to this woman probably around seven or eight years ago telling her that she's going to have a son. So there's some time that's passed. And during that time, evidently, she has continued to show hospitality to the prophet Elisha on specific days throughout the year, even if he wasn't in town. Notice again what it says in verse 23. He said, wherefore wilt thou go to him? Is it neither new moon nor Sabbath? So he's saying, listen, I know you're used to going and serving and, and showing hospitality to him on specific days throughout the year. It's none of those days. This woman was truly great as she never considered it beneath her to be a blessing to those poorer than her. She was such a faithful servant of the Lord that even when she is being severely tested here, she never once considered that it is the Lord, that the, that the Lord rather is encouraging her to seek Elisha. She never once considered that the Lord was trying to tell her not to seek Elisha. Even though her husband's faith was probably not on the same level as hers, she is still motivated to rely upon God and is determined to keep pressing forward. And notice once again what she says at the end of verse number 23. And she said, It shall be well. It shall be well. Those are the words spoken by a confident believer in God under the most severe circumstances. It shall be well. And notice what we read in verse number 24, because she doesn't just say, it shall be well, and sit back and wait and remains inactive. But she stays active. Look at what it says in verse number 24. 
Then she saddled an ass and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Slack not thy riding for me, except I bid thee. You know how we would say this in today's language? Put the pedal to the metal. We've got somewhere to go. Don't slow down. Run every stop sign. Run every red light. If there's a state trooper behind you, lose them. Don't, I don't recommend doing that. This is what she did. I'm not saying you should do this. Jim, cover yours. Drive and go forward. She said, slack not thy riding for me, except I bid thee. She was going to make the long and difficult journey to Mount Carmel because love is not quenched by difficulties. When our faith is active, that is when we still see the greatest results. That is why faith often flourishes in times of stress and difficulty because when believers truly act on their faith, they see God's hand the clearest. Look at verses 25 and 26. So she went and came unto the man of God to Mount Carmel. And it came to pass when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to Gehazi, his servant, Behold, yonder is that Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? I love how Elisha conducts himself here. For he sends his servant to run to the woman the moment he sees her afar off. Elisha basically held a celebrity status in the eyes of the woman. She just loved it whenever he came around. She looked at every opportunity to be a blessing to him because she knew this is a holy man of God and she felt she could never do enough for him. And so he sends the servant to go running to her. He doesn't wait for her to come and to reach him, but he sends his servant to her. And think about how comforting this must have been for the woman who has just made this long journey and how much her heart would have been warmed to be greeted this way that the prophet of God is sending his servant to go running to her. Not just, oh, wait by the gate until she gets here. Run to her, he says. And he has no idea what's going on in her life. He just sees her far off. He sees a friendly face, a familiar face. And he says, it's her. Go and greet her. And greet her the best way you can. Run. Run to her. Look once more at verse number 26. Because I think we see that God is the same way with us. That he welcomes us with open arms the moment we turn to him. And he runs to us. Look again at what it says in verse 26. He says, run now, I pray thee to meet her. And say unto her, is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? Is that not God? How he is to us? When we're in need and we are going to seek him, there's a problem that we have and we know that he is the one that we need to be going to. He is the one that we seek counsel from. He is the one that we're going to get any sort of help from. When we run to him, what does he do? Does he hold us back at a distance and say, hold on, I've got an appointment about 10 a.m. on Tuesday. How does that work for you? Does he say, check with my secretary on your way in because, you know, I've got a whole line of people that are needing to meet with me before I make time for you. 
because I'm gauging the, by your need. It's probably a doozy of a need, so it's going to take me some time to figure out what it's going to No! He runs to us. He runs to us and he welcomes us and he takes us up in the arms of the everlasting Father. But notice what it says at the end of verse number 26. We see the woman's response. So he sends Gehazi's servant, asks three questions. Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? At the end of verse 26, it says, She answered, It is well. It is well. Now, we know it's not all well, is it? She's not coming for any sort of social call. She's not coming just to shoot the breeze. She's not coming just to visit and just catch up and, you know, how long it's been since the last time and how are things going with you. She's coming for a reason. She's coming because it is not well. And yet when she's asked... Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? She could have answered, no. In fact, things are as low as they can be right now. She could have said, Lord, seven years ago you gave me a son. Cherished every moment. Raised him right. Continued serving you. Raised this boy to love you. He's trusted in you as well. My husband and I have adored him. Every day that we've had him. Never expected to have him. And you gave him to us. But I'm here today. Because things are not well. What seemed to be an ordinary day a few days ago. Boy went out to see his dad in the field. Complained of a headache. Came home. Hours later. He was dead. So no, it is not well. Not with myself, not with my husband back home, and not with my son. It is the opposite of well. But she says, it is well. It is well. This woman's faith, her faith is so great that she had no doubt that God could, but also would, restore her son. And that is why, before she even sees the outcome, she's able to say, it is well. It is well. She was able to look beyond the storms that were clouding every bit of her life at that moment. And see the anticipated and expected outcome. Oh, to have faith like that. God would indeed reward her faith. For God never puts to confusion those who truly rely upon him, showing himself strong on their behalf. Now look at what it says in verses 27 and 28. And when she came to the man of God to the hill... She caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to thrust her away. And the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her. And the Lord hath hid it from me, and hath not told me. Then she said, Did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? 
back when he first made the promise, seven, eight years ago, that next year you're going to have a son. She said, my version. Don't lie to me. Do not deceive me. And he said, next year, it's going to happen. Next year, she had a son. Seven years later, she's coming back and she's grabbing the feet of the prophet. She's saying, I told you. Seven years ago, I told you. Don't lie to me. Do not deceive me. I didn't ask you of this. I wasn't looking for this. But God blessed me anyways. Is it true that the same God that would bless me this way would take away the blessing? This woman understood that Elisha was God's ambassador and she humbly comes before him seeking a favor from God. Every step of her way, her faith is being tested. Even as Gehazi comes to pull her away from the prophet, her persistence led Elisha to allow her to continue. And then she was tested again as Elisha appears to be completely unaware of her situation and is unprepared for this request. And God kept it this way to prove to Elisha how strong and real this mother's faith really was. She makes some powerful arguments there in verse number 28, moving Elisha to eventually act on her behalf. This woman didn't impatiently desire children, but she couldn't believe that God would grant her a son only for him to take him away to bring her deeper distress. Her second question details that her dependence had been upon the Lord and the word of God's servant. Again, the first question, she said, did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? Each of these questions are detailing that she is leaning upon God and depending upon him. Life will not always go according to your plan. Some things are going to be discouraging. Some things will be incredibly overwhelming. God's will may disappoint us at times, but we can be sure that God's promises never disappoint. Neither will they ever deceive us. Having a confident expectation in the promises of God allow every believer in every and any circumstance to say three important words. It is well. It is well. I pray that everyone here can say that it is well as you consider your own spiritual condition, that it is well with your soul. But I pray that we could also rise to the height to share the faith of the Shunammite woman. When we're asked about our life, when we're asked about our family, when we're asked about everything else that's going on, that we could also say, it is well. As we recognize the greatness of God and the promises of God that never fail. Would you bow with me in prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, that you have shown us your truth here this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the example that we have of what faith should look like. 
Lord, we never get this woman's name, but I'm thankful, Lord, for how she was a devout follower of you, no matter the circumstances. And Lord, she was stretched. I pray, Lord, that we can understand what our lives should be, what our response should be when life gets crazy. That no matter the circumstances, we might also be able to say, it is well. We know as believers that it is well with our soul, nothing can change that. But Lord, even when things aren't well with our lives, I pray that we'd be able to look to you and to say, it is still well. It is still well. Strengthen us, Lord, through the Holy Spirit. May we learn to walk in your ways, obediently following according to your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.